Take your copy of God's Word and open to Exodus chapter 20. We're going to be in Exodus chapter 20 and verse 15 together this morning. We're in the uh, eighth of Ten Commandments as we've been walking through over the last few weeks, the Ten Commandments as we find them in Exodus chapter 20. We will be in this series for a total of 10 weeks, okay? That's one week for every commandment, so we're getting very close to the end. And then uh, uh, as soon as we're done with the Ten Commandments, we're going to go to the New Testament and uh, look at the Sermon on the Mount in Matthew 5, 6, and 7, and walk verse by verse uh, through the words of one who was greater than Moses, and that is Jesus Christ. And so uh, looking forward to doing that. But uh, today we turn to commandment number eight out of 10. Um, If you've ever driven in a third world country, then you know that traffic laws don't mean the same thing everywhere. Uh, sometimes you'll, you'll see a stop sign. It doesn't necessarily mean that anybody's going to stop. And uh, someone might turn into your lane without using a blinker. Of course, that happens right here in Longview, Texas as well, doesn't it? And uh, even the, uh, the concept of a lane is fairly malleable in some countries. You know, just because you're driving in your lane doesn't mean that someone else is not going to be driving straight at you in your same lane, right? Because some people just drive as if there are no rules, or they drive as if they're making up their own rules as they go. Of course, some people drive that way right here in our community as well. Don't say amen to that, but you know it's true. You know that that's a recipe for disaster. To follow your own rules will lead to disaster. It will lead to a crash. It will lead to a cataclysm. We, we don't like the word rule because we think it sounds oppressive. It, th- seems, it seems like it, it's something that's meant to put us down or hamper our freedom. But actually, we all live by rules all the time, and we actually need rules in order to flourish. How many of you would actually actually like to drive in a society that had no traffic rules, right? Not a single one of us in our own right mind would want to drive that way. Rules allow for a structure to flourish. Rules allow for us to actually operate in freedom. And the Ten Commandments, when we think about the Ten Commandments, oftentimes we think about, oh my goodness, that's rules. It's, it's something I'm not supposed to do or something God wants me to do. It sounds oppressive. But you need to realize that God's instructions are for our good. Amen? They're not meant to oppress. They're meant to liberate. It's why Kevin DeYoung says that when we think about the law of God, we shouldn't think about the Ten Commandments as prison bars but more like traffic laws. In other words, these are not instructions for how to get out of Egypt. God's already freed us from Egypt by His grace. But these are rules for a free people to stay free. So this shows us, the Ten Commandments show us, God's design for life, how life works best, gives us a structure for human flourishing. God gives to His people ten instructions, like a loving father to His children to say, If you want to live as free people, this is what it looks like. If you want to flourish in your life, then embrace these 10 instructions. Now, the 10 commandments are divided into two parts. Commandments number one through four have to do with our relationship with God. Commandments five through 10 have to do with our relationship with one another. You could summarize them simply by saying commandments one through four have to do with loving God. Commandments five through 10 have to do with loving others. That is the key to to human flourishing, loving God and loving others. And if you want to see what that's like, you, you want to look at the Ten Commandments. So this morning, we're turning to the Eighth Commandment. In Exodus chapter 20 and verse 15, it's going to teach us how to live as free people who want to stay free. So let's look at God's Word together. Exodus 20, and let's read verse 15 together out loud. It says, do not steal. 
do not steal. Actually, only two words in Hebrew. We say it in three in English, do not steal. I want to talk with you this morning for a few moments about being givers and not takers. God says, if you want to live as a free people who stay free, your lives should be marked, should be characterized as people who are not takers, instead are givers. Now, what does it mean to steal? Well, the Hebrew word to steal is the Hebrew word ganab. And uh, when you're in seminary, you learn all kinds of tips and tricks and tools to remember Hebrew and Greek words. Well, this is a very simple one. Ganab, nab, get it? To steal, to nab, all right? That, it was funnier in Hebrew class, all right? <laughs> That's what it means. To steal, it means to nab. It means to take or to carry away. It means to take something that doesn't belong to me. To me. Stealing is when we try to get something for nothing. And God says, if you are going to live as a distinctive people, if you're going to be a light in the darkness, if you're going to be a holy nation, then you should not take what belongs to someone else. The seventh commandment, we looked at last week, God says, I don't want you to take someone else's spouse. The eighth commandment, he makes it even more broad. He says, I don't want you to take anything that doesn't belong to you. Now, as we look at verse 15, chances are you probably think that you've obeyed this command. According to a Barna, George Barna study a few years ago, 86% of adults believed that they had fully kept this command. So almost 9 out of 10 adults said, nope, I've kept this one. I've not stolen anything. I'm not a thief. So you might be that way. You may think this morning, you know, hey, I'm not a thief. So this morning is a good time to nap. Or I'm not a bank robber. This is not for me. Well, this is not just a command for bank robbers. This is a command for us. It's a command for the church. You say, Pastor, is stealing really a problem in the church? Yes, it is. In fact, even in the early church, in the New Testament church, stealing was a problem. You remember several examples you can think about in the New Testament. You remember the couple in Acts chapter 5 who sold a piece of land, gave it to the church, and then lied about how much they'd given? They were thieves. Think about Ephesians chapter 4 and verse 28 where Paul writes to the church at Ephesus these words, let the thief no longer steal. Now, why would Paul tell that to the church at Ephesus? Because there was a thief who was stealing things. We don't know much about the thief in Ephesus. We don't know how much he took or what he took. Maybe he, uh, you know, waited until church was over and would walk through the pews and find all the people's sunglasses and Bibles and phones that had been left behind in the church at Ephesus and take those. We have no idea what he took. We just know there was a thief in the church at Ephesus. And Paul writes, let the thief no longer steal. So we can steal in church. Not only is theft uh, sometimes present in church, you may not believe this, but theft can even happen with pastors. You may have read stories about pastors who've embezzled funds or stolen some of the church's money. In fact, when I was a, a very young pastor, I heard of a, a church down the road from the, the church I was pastoring that was facing financial trouble. And so the pastor took some of the church's money to Vegas in order to try to win it big and rescue the church's financial situation. Well, he didn't win it big. He lost it all. There are all kinds of ways to steal. The truth is we're a nation that is fascinated with stealing. Why do I say we're fascinated by it? Well, first of all, just by the sheer numbers, 
there's a lot of theft that happens. Uh, many people just steal outright. In fact, according to the FBI in 2019, there were over 5 million petty thefts, what's called larceny thefts. This would be like pickpocketing or stealing somebody's bicycle. Basically, any kind of theft that doesn't involve uh, force or violence. So it doesn't include, you know, even things like embezzlement or fraud, con games, forgery, check fraud, any of those types of things. Just petty theft, over 5 million occurrences of it in 2019. Retail theft accounted for $100 billion in lost revenue, according to Forbes magazine in 2019. And in case you're wondering, what are people stealing from stores? Well, I looked it up. The five most commonly stolen items out of stores, number five, this is in descending order, number five, sunglasses, number four, swimwear, number three, fashion accessories, number two, makeup. What's going on, ladies? What's with the theft of the makeup? And then number one, wines and spirits, okay? Now, that's not, that's not the Holy Spirit. That's like al- al- alcohol, okay? Number one, retail theft, alcohol in America. That doesn't account for things like bank robbery or identity theft, which is happening more and more. Last year in 2022, over a million cars were stolen, accounting for about $8.9 billion uh, in loss. I was curious, what is the most commonly stolen car? Well, in 2021, it was the 2004 full-size Chevy pickup. And all the guys in the house, we would say, that, that's a good car, okay? That's a good vehicle. Number two, Ford pickup, okay? I'm just going to leave that right there. I also <laughs> was curious, what's the least commonly stolen vehicle? And for multiple years running, it's a Subaru. And I'm also going to leave that right there, okay? So there's a lot of theft happening. But, you know, we're, even if you don't steal, we're often, as a nation, we're fascinated by those who do. I mean, there's a mystique, isn't there, to a Bonnie and a Clyde. There's a mystique to John Dillinger. Mo- movies about art heists and bank robberies and car thefts regularly do well at the box office, whether it's Ocean's Eleven or Gone in 60 Seconds. I mean, who doesn't love Nick Cage, you know, saying it's not about the money, it's about the cars. You know, we're just fascinated by theft. But beyond that, <clears throat> the truth is many people often steal without even really thinking about it. Many people often steal without giving it a second thought. Many people steal without even really realizing what they're doing. You know, sometimes we think about lying. We talk about, uh, it was just a little white lie. You know, it didn't hurt anybody. Well, some people think about theft that way. It's just a little white theft. It didn't hurt anyone. And, And so sometimes we do it without realizing it or really without thinking about it. In fact, Martin Luther, the great reformer, said that stealing is a widespread common vice, but people pay so little attention to it that the matter is entirely out of hand. If all who are thieves, though they are unwilling to admit it, were hanged on the gallows, the world would soon be empty, and there would be a shortage of both hangmen and gallows. So how do we steal? Well, sometimes we steal by overt, out-and-out taking right? If you take something that doesn't belong to you, you violated command number eight. But sometimes there are less overt ways of taking what doesn't belong to you. Sometimes we steal 
For instance, when we take advantage of other people when we buy or when we sell, the Bible has a category for this. It's called unequal weights and measures. And so if you, uh, in order to turn a profit, we, we, you know, you, the, to turn a profit, you got to buy low, sell high. But if you do that at the expense of another person, if you do that in a way that harms another person, you've actually committed theft. You've participated in unequal weights and measures. It, it, even the way we talk about it, sometimes you go to a, a car dealership and you walk away and you say, I got a steal of a deal, right? So we need to be very careful about how we buy and how we sell. If you take something from the office, if you skim off the top, if you try to cheat on your taxes, if you plagiarize someone else's work, if you waste time while you're on the clock, all of these are different forms of theft. How many of the millennials in the house remember uh, Napster? Anybody remember Napster? You remember when you didn't want to buy the CD? It, guys, CD, you used to have to put it in this thing and it would play music, okay? But if you didn't want to buy the CD, you could go to Napster and you could download the MP3 of the music and you wouldn't have to pay for it. Well, that's piracy, right? It's pir- pirating music, that's theft. Pirating uh, movies. I remember the first Pirates of the Caribbean movie that I owned because I bought it in Southeast Asia for about $3 on the side of the road. It was a pirated movie. Sometimes you can pirate electricity, you know, wire into that line if your power goes out or some such, you know. These are all ways of stealing, taking things that don't belong to us. And many times we steal without even thinking about it. We often minimize the seriousness of it. There's a very famous uh, Norman Rockwell painting of a woman purchasing a chicken at the butcher. And both the butcher and the woman are grinning. They both think they're getting a good deal as one puts his finger on the scale and the other is pushing her finger up from the bottom. A little closer to home maybe for you rednecks, you might have read about the Ohio fishermen who were arrested last month uh, for participating in a fishing tournament that they won. Uh, It was a walleye tournament, and uh, they were actually uh, convicted, ended up having to pay $10,000, spend 10 days in jail, because even though their fish were approximately the same size as everyone, when they began to weigh the fish, uh, what they found was that those two Ohio fishermen had stuffed their fish with chunks of other fish and bits of lead to make their walleye heavier than their neighbors. And the judges thought that was fishy. (laughs) Thank you. I'll be here all week. (laughs) God's Word has instruction for this. God says, I want you to live differently. I want you to be a distinct people. I want you to live as a free people who stay free. And so God says, in the midst of all of that, I want you to be a people who do not steal. Let me just ask three questions about theft uh, this morning. Why do we steal? What's the reason for it? What is it in our hearts that would drive us to take what doesn't belong to us. And if we've done that, or we have those heart symptoms, is there any hope? What hope is there for those who have taken stuff or maybe want to take stuff? And if there is hope and there's rescue from that, then what should our response be to that? So those are the three questions I want to talk about this morning. The first of all is the reason. Why do we steal? Why do we take what doesn't belong to us? Well, someone once cleverly said that people steal for one of two reasons, either to stay alive or to feel alive. I think there's probably some truth to that. But I want to share with you two deeper reasons why I believe people steal. I believe that people steal because of discontentedness 
or distrustfulness. I think those are the two primary reasons that cause people to take what doesn't belong to them, either discontentedness or distrustfulness. Discontentedness, people steal sometimes because they aren't content with what they have. I told you last week that when you think about the sin of lust, lust can be considered gluttony of the eyes. Well, theft can be considered gluttony of the heart. You all know what gluttony is. Gluttony is when you never have enough, right? If you, you're sitting down to eat lunch and you, you eat until you're full, but it's not, it doesn't feel like it's enough or you want more, and so you, you're not content. You don't just stop. When you're full, you continue to eat and eat and eat. That's gluttony. Well, there's such thing as gluttony of the heart where we're not satisfied with what God has given us. We're not content with what we have, and we just want more and more and more. Gluttony of the heart. Think about, think about our first human parents, Adam and Eve. I mean, you would think if any two people were situated to be happy in life, it would be Adam and Eve. If anybody could be content with what they've got, it would be Adam and Eve. Created by God, they walked with God, they knew God in such an intimate way. They lived in a beautiful garden called Eden. They had had every need that they, they had was provided for by God. They lived in this beautiful place. And God says, you can eat from any tree of the garden except for one. And in the midst of all of the wealth of abundance in the Garden of Eden, it wasn't enough, was it? They had to have more. And so in the first theft in the Bible, they take what doesn't belong to them. They eat from that one tree because they're not satisfied. What they had was not enough. Have you ever noticed we can be exactly the same way? My first car was so ugly. I drove a 1996 tan Ford Crown Victoria. Now listen, I actually learned how to drive in a 12-passenger conversion van. Now, if anything will humiliate a 16-year-old, it's learning how to drive in Houston in a white 12-passenger, you know, homeschool mobile. Um, so compared to that, the Ford Crown Victoria was an upgrade. And I felt so much freedom, you know, to have my own car. I was so excited about it. It was so ugly, but I was so happy to have it until I wasn't. I was so content with it until I wanted something else. And then I started looking at that Ford F-150 pickup and I thought that was a great truck and I wanted to have that truck. And then I got that truck and it was great for the time being. And then I saw the newer edition of the Ford pickup and I thought, boy, that's really a lot nicer than the one that I've got, right? And through the years, you know, I've had different cars and even now I, I, I'd be, I drive a cool little sports car, but I'd be lying if I didn't tell you that I don't pay attention when the brand new Corvette drives by. It catches my eye. It's never enough, is it? Right? So it's like, man, I, Amy and I, when we got married, we were so poor. We lived in a shoebox, tiny little 550-square-foot apartment in downtown Dallas. It was a shoebox. It didn't have a dishwasher. And we just thought, boy, if we could ever live in an apartment with a dishwasher, you know, that'll be the life. So we upgraded. We went to an 850-square-foot apartment in North Dallas with a dishwasher. We were living the high life. Then we started having kids. And it was like, man, this, this is a little tight. We could just have a house, you know? So then we built a house. It's like, well... We need a bigger house. You get the bigger house. Well, this house doesn't have a swimming pool, right? It's never enough, is it? We're never satisfied with what we have. And so that discontentedness drives us to want to accumulate more and if necessary, take it if it's not given to us. The reason why some steal is because they don't believe that God has given them everything they need. They're dissatisfied with what they have. They want more. They idolize stuff. 
want more than they have. It, it's really the eighth commandment is just one expression of the first commandment, not to love something else more than God, not to have an idol. And when we idolize stuff and we want more and more and more, we're not just satisfied in God. That discontentedness sometimes can drive us to steal. In a word, it's greed. And the reason that we're greedy is simply because we don't believe God is enough. If we believed God was enough for us, if we believe that if we have God, we have everything that we need, in fact, we have more than we need, then we wouldn't take more. We wouldn't take what doesn't belong to us. At the heart of theft is discontentedness, which is simply believing that God is not enough. It's, it's not believing that God is enough for me to be content. It's not believing that God is enough to satisfy the needs of my life. But, but folks, if you have God, you have everything you need. You remember what C.S. Lewis said? He says, the person who has God and everything else has nothing more than the person who has God only. Think about that. We just get discontented. We don't believe God is enough for us, and so sometimes we're tempted to take more. The second reason I think that we, we're tempted to steal is because of distrustfulness. Distrustfulness says, it's not that I don't believe God can take care of me. I'm just not sure He will take care of me. In other words, if discontentedness leads me to ask, is God enough? Distrustfulness leads me to ask, is God good? Is God going to be good enough and kind enough to me to take care of my needs? And a distrustfulness of God where we're not quite sure He's good enough to care for us or good enough to take care of our needs sometimes leads us to try to take things into our own hands and secure our own provision because we don't trust God to do it for us. In other words, sometimes we steal because we question whether God will take care of us. Maybe you've wondered that. Will God take care of me? Will God meet my needs? Will God provide for me? I don't know how I'm going to make ends meet. I'm not sure if God is good enough to take care of me. I'm not sure He cares enough about me. I'm not sure He sees my need. And so I better look out for number one. If I don't look out for me, nobody else is going to look out for me. So I'm going to look out for my needs, and I'm going to take any necessary step, including taking what doesn't belong to me, to provide for my own security. And when you think about those two things, discontentedness and distrustfulness, you realize that even if you are here today and you've never stolen anything in your life, those deep down heart issues that drive people to steal might reside in your own heart today. In other words, the motivation that might cause someone to take what doesn't belong to them, oftentimes those same concerns are present in my own life. Am I content with what God has given to me? Do, do I believe that God is enough for me to be satisfied? Or do I need more? Do I trust God to provide everything that I need? Do I believe He's good, that He'll actually take care of my needs? Or do I need to take things into my own hands to make sure that I'm provided for? You see, I think the reason that people steal is because of bad theology. We either don't believe God is good enough to see us and take care of our needs, so we take things into our own hands, or we don't believe that God is enough to satisfy us, and so we constantly need to accumulate more. 
So if that's you, if you would say today, Pastor, you know what? I kind of, I resonate with that. I find in my own heart that sometimes I'm distrustful of God's goodness to provide. Or in my own heart, I'm discontented with what God has entrusted to me. Is there any hope for that? If those are the heart issues that drive theft, is there any rescue from that? Well, church, I am so happy to tell you today, there is. There is rescue from those heart issues that would drive us to want more or to even feel like we need to take that in our own hands. The hope that we have for greed is Jesus. The hope that we have for discontentedness is Jesus. The hope that we have for distrustfulness is Jesus. Listen to me. The way out from a greedy heart or grabby hands is simply to realize all you have in Christ. Amen? If, you, if you're here today and you say, I've got grabby hands, I just want more, or maybe you say, I've got a greedy, gluttonous heart, what's, what's the rescue from that? The rescue is to recognize all that Christ has given you, all that you already have when you have Christ. The rescue from grasping a hold of what others have is to simply grasp a hold of what you already have when you have Christ. I want you to think about, thank you for that. Somebody's blessed by that. I want you to think about what you have been given in Christ. Think about what you have in Christ. Do you know that Jesus is the most generous person you'll ever know? He's the most generous person you'll ever know. Think about all that he's given you. Think about what he's given you in salvation and what that cost him. Uh, think about what Paul says in Philippians chapter 2 that says that even though Jesus existed in the very form of God, did not consider equality with God as something to be what? Grasped, <laughs> but instead emptied himself and took on the form of a servant. And the reason that he did that, right? Paul tells us in 2 Corinthians chapter 8 and verse 9, look on the screen at this wonderful verse. It says, you know the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, that though he was rich, for your sake he became poor, so that by his poverty you might become rich. And that's not speaking of financial wealth or financial riches. What it's saying is that Jesus left the glory and the riches of heaven. He emptied himself. He gave everything that he had to give, his very life on the cross, so that we could know the riches and the treasures of God's love. You see, the antidote to taking others' stuff is to realize how much God has already given you in Christ, that God has given you the riches and the treasures and the wealth of knowing Him. He's the most generous person that you can imagine. He is generosity embodied, and He's given us everything that we need for life and godliness. Amen? You know, when we think about stealing, it's when somebody steals, they want something for nothing. They want something that doesn't cost them anything. When you think about it, isn't that what we have in the gospel? The gospel is where we get something that didn't cost us anything. We have forgiveness of sins given to us by Jesus. It's not, it doesn't cost us anything. We have a new life in Christ. It didn't cost us anything. We, we have eternal life. It didn't cost us anything. We have the gift of the Holy Spirit. It didn't cost us anything. We steal because we want something for nothing. The gospel is the answer to that because the gospel is how we get something that cost Jesus everything but didn't cost us anything. And when you really wrap your mind around what you have in Christ, then, then you have no need for, grieb, for a greedy heart or grabby hands because you've got everything you need when you have Christ. It's interesting when you think about that instruction Paul gave to the thief in, in Ephesus. In, in Ephesians chapter 4, Paul says, 
to the thief, no longer do you need to steal. But I think that the reason that Paul could tell the thief not to steal any longer is because of what Paul had said in Ephesians 1, 2, and 3. What is Paul writing about in Ephesians 1, 2, and 3? He's writing about everything that God has given us in Christ. And he begins Ephesians 1 by saying that God has blessed us with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places in Christ Jesus. Now think about that. Why could the thief no longer steal? Why could the thief be released from his greedy heart and his grabby hands? Because God had already blessed him with everything in Christ. And then chapter 1 is just, an, it's just Paul extolling all the blessings that God has given us in Christ. You have a three-verse hymn, just like a Baptist, a three-verse hymn in Ephesians chapter 1, a hymn of praise to God the Father for what He's given us, for God the Son for what He's given us, and God the Spirit for what He's given us. And Paul says, when you really realize every spiritual blessing that's been given to you in Christ, let the thief no longer steal. He continues in Ephesians chapter 2. Ephesians chapter 2, Paul says, hey, before Christ, you were dead in your trespasses and sins. And yet, God, who's rich in mercy, according to the great love with which He loved us, has made us alive together with Him. And He's raised us up and seated us in the heavenlies in Christ Jesus. And we are now saved, not according to our works, but by grace through faith, which is a gift. Think about all that God has done for you and let the thief no longer steal. You don't need to take anything more because you have everything in Christ. Think about what Paul says in Ephesians chapter 3 when he concludes that beautiful section on the gospel. Listen to these words in Ephesians chapter 3, verses 16 through 19. Paul says, I pray that God may grant you, according to the riches of His glory, to be strengthened with power in your inner being through His Spirit, and that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith. I pray that you, being rooted and firmly established in love, may be able to comprehend with all the saints. Let's say this together. What is the length and width height and depth of God's love, and to know Christ's love that surpasses knowledge. That means that God loves you more than you'll ever know, so that you may be what? Filled with all the fullness of God. And then one chapter later, Paul is going to make it specific, and he's going to say to the thief who's been taking stuff, let the thief no longer steal. Why? Because God has blessed you with everything in, in the heavenlies. Because God fills you with all of His fullness. If you've been filled with all the fullness of God, why do you need to take anything else? Do you understand that? You see the, the logic of Paul's argument there? Recognize what God has given you in Christ and let that allow, allow that to shape your life. Let the thief no longer steal. Realize all that you have in Christ. And so the rescue from a greedy heart and grabby hands is realizing all we already have in Christ. When you look at Jesus, you realize He's enough and He's good. He, he, he provides everything that I need to be content, and He's provided everything that I need for my provision. He's, he's enough for me, and He's good. And if I have nothing other than Christ, I have everything I need. So how should we respond to that? When we think about the beautiful rescue from greediness, the beautiful rescue from a gluttonous heart. What, what should our response to that be? Well, you'll notice in Exodus 20 and verse 15, there's two words only, okay? No stealing. It doesn't tell us what to do other than not to steal. But, but I actually think if you zoom out a little bit and just look at the whole of Scripture, I think there are three responses that God's Word calls us to make to this, to this uh, command today. Number one, I believe that God's Word calls us, if we've stolen anything, to make restitution. Can we say that word together? 
restitution. Now, that's not a word that we use very often, but to make restitution means that if you've done someone wrong, you make it right. Okay, that's what restitution is. Um, If you don't know Jesus, then chances are if you've done something wrong to someone else, there's nothing in you that makes you think you need to do that right, make that right. But for a Jesus follower, because we believe in the Lordship of Christ, Christ calls us to make wrongs right, to repair damage that we may have caused. And so as it applies to stealing, that means that if you've ever taken someone, something from someone, it's not enough just to say, well, I'm forgiven in Jesus, thank God. Actually, God calls you to, to have a responsibility, and that is to make, wrong, make right what you've made wrong, to make restitution. And actually, the book of Exodus tells you how to do that. Uh, in Exodus chapter 22, just two chapters later, Moses gives a little bit of explanation if you've stolen something, and he gives an illustration. He says, if you've taken somebody's cow and you've barbecued it, then to make restitution means you need to go back to the person from whom you stole it, and you need to give them five cows. Okay, so in other words, you replace what you took, and then you go above and beyond. And if you killed the cow, you owe them five. Okay, two verses later, it says, now, if you stole the cow and you haven't eaten it yet or sold it or something like that, you give the original cow back to the owner, and then you give them two cows. Okay, so the the principle there is you return what you took, and then you go above and beyond what you took. That's restitution. And so I want to encourage you to seriously consider Have you ever taken something from someone? Have you caused harm to someone or done damage to someone by taking what doesn't belong to you? The Christian responsibility is to go back to that person in repentance and humility and make that wrong right, to do restitution. Wouldn't that be a witness to the Lordship of Christ? Listen, if you go back to someone what that's signaling, it's not saying that you're a perfect person who never makes mistakes. What it does say is that you are a person who's been saved by Jesus and who takes the lordship of Jesus very seriously, and you want to make right what you've done wrong. That's restitution. So if that's you, if you've taken advantage of someone or skimmed off the top or something like that, I would encourage you to take that step of making it right. Number two, I think the second response that we have is to trust, to trust. You know, as you look through the book of Exodus, Uh, How many times are the Israelites called to just simply trust God? You you remember when he takes them out of Egypt and goes through the Red Sea and then they're out in the wilderness there for 40 years? They've got to trust God even for their daily bread, right? Manna and quail. And it's a day-by-day life of trusting God to provide for their needs. And if you're here today and you say, Pastor, I really do wrestle with a discontentedness or a distrustfulness. I'm not sure that God's really enough to satisfy me, and I'm not really sure He's good enough to provide for me. Now, I want to just encourage you to trust God to provide for your needs. Understand this. God loves you, and He he cares for you. He sees the needs that you have in your life. Listen, some of you just need to be encouraged with that because some of you are facing bills at the end of the month, and you don't have enough paycheck to cover the bills. You know what I'm talking about? And you may be wondering, does God see me? Does God care? Is God going to take care of my needs? Will God provide? And I want to just tell you, God loves you. He cares for you, and he will provide. And you can trust him. You know, in Hebrew, there's a name for God. In English, we say God is provider. God is provider. You know, in Hebrew, it literally means he is the God who sees. The God who sees you will provide, and you can trust him. 
I've got a friend who's a tightrope walker, and he loves to take his slack line and extend it, you know, from one end of a canyon to another and walk across that thing. He's absolutely nuts. But it's an amazing thing to see. He posts it all on Instagram and stuff like that. Well, he, he rests his whole weight of his body on that one slack line. And if that slack line breaks, he's toast. That's a great picture of trust. It's saying, I'm going to rest my whole weight on this. I'm not going to hedge my bets. I'm not going to put my eggs in other baskets. I'm trusting fully this. And what we're called to do is to trust God fully, not to hedge our bets, not try to, you know, to take things into our own hands to make sure we're taken care of, but just to say, I'm fully putting all of my eggs in this basket. I am fully trusting God to provide for all of my needs. And if you'll trust him, he will care for you. Amen? You can rest the weight of your life on him. Let me just encourage you with this quote. I shared this at the Southern Baptist Convention a couple of weeks ago, and it was so encouraging. I want to give it to you as well. Jonathan Edwards wrote this in his journal. By virtue of the believer's union with Christ, he does in fact possess all things. But it may be asked, how does he possess all things? I mean that God three in one, all that he is and all that he has and all that he has, all that he does, all that he has made or done, the whole universe, bodies and spirits, earth and heaven, angels, humans, devils, sun, moon, stars, land, sea, fish, fowls, silver, gold, kings and potentates are as much the Christians as the money in his pocket, the clothes he wears, the house he dwells in or the food he eats. Yes, properly his advantageously his by virtue of his union with Christ, because Christ, who certainly does possess all things, is entirely his so that the Christian possesses it all. Every atom in the universe is managed by Christ so as to be most to the advantage of the Christian. Every particle of air or every ray of the sun so that he in the other world, when he comes to see it, shall sit and enjoy all this vast inheritance with surprising, amazing joy. You can trust God to provide everything you need because everything you need, you already have in Christ. So trust. And then finally, the, the final response I think we are to make to this commandment is that we're to live lives of generosity to live lives of generosity. I shared with you a couple weeks ago that the Westminster Catechism, when it writes about the Ten Commandments, says that whenever something is forbidden in the Ten Commandments, the opposite is also required. So think about that. It's not just that I'm not to commit adultery. I am also to be faithful to my spouse. It's not just that I'm not to bear false witness. I'm also to be a truth teller. If you think about the commandment to not to steal, it's not just that I shouldn't take. What's the opposite of taking? Giving. You see, so what God's Word is calling us to is not just not to take, but also to be people who give. And in fact, you have that very sentiment in Ephesians 4.28 with that Ephesian thief. In fact, I want you to look at that verse one more time. Look at Ephesians 4.28. It'll be here on the screens. Let the thief no longer steal. Instead... He is to do honest work with his own hands. Let's say this last part together. So that he has something to share with anyone in need. You see, Paul really understands the fullness of the Eighth Commandment. It's not just enough not to take. As Christians, we are meant to be givers, not takers, because we know, love, and serve a God who is infinitely generous. Amen? 
So let me end with one practical application. How can you live this text out this week? Let me encourage you, if you have a greedy heart or grabby hands, to find one way this week to give something away to someone. Okay, that would be one practical way that you can live out the eighth commandment. It's not just not taking, it's also finding a way to give. So I want you to think seriously, is there a way that you could give something away this week? Maybe you want to make a gift to the church. Maybe you make a gift to a neighbor who's in need. Maybe there's an adoptive family that you know who's raising funds for an adoption, and you would want to make a gift to help them as they're… I don't know what it is that God's going to lay on your heart, but let me just encourage you to pray about it today and say, God, would you give me one practical way that I can give? Because in giving away, it's going to help me to fight greed. You know, giving is good for our hearts. Uh, giving is something that God calls us to do because, look, have you ever wondered why tithing matters? It doesn't matter because God needs your money. I can assure you he doesn't need your money. He's, he owns the cattle on a thousand hills, and he owns the hills as well. Okay? The earth is the Lord's and everything in it. God doesn't need your money. Tithing is not for, for him. It's for us. God calls us to give because he knows that our hearts are greedy and grabby. And the way out of being greedy and grabby is to be giving and generous. And so let's find one way to just give something away. Give until it hurts. <laughs> give, it until, give until it makes you uncomfortable. Give sacrificially. To give sacrificially means I have to give something else up in order to give this amount. And when you do that, God uses it to shape you to look more and more like Christ. Kent Hughes said, every time I give, I declare that money does not control me. Every time I give, it's a perpetual de-deification of money. And so I want to encourage you this morning, recognize God didn't call you to be a sponge that just takes, takes, takes. He created you to be a sprinkler, to be a conduit of God's grace and blessing and generosity to everyone around you. And here's the deal. When you do that, you become like what He is a giver and not a taker. Amen? Let's bow together. Lord, do this work in our hearts that would take away from us greed and gluttony, would free us to realize all that we have in Christ. Help us to see and to savor Jesus, all he has, all he does, all he gives. And may that free us to be people not who take, but who give, people of generosity. Help us find ways practically to be the church this week, to look to meet needs. Help us to have eyes to see the needs of the people around us, whether it's a neighbor or a friend or a coworker, or an adoptive family or a need in the church. Lord, help us to just open up our hands and be generous with our hearts. For your glory, we pray in Jesus' name.